Amen. Um, I did, as I was walking around the room this morning, just saw just those little flames on each of your heads. Um, this, this morning I was driving along and, um, and I said, Lord, what do you want to do today? And I saw just the Lord open his mouth and this hot breath of word came out. And, um, and instead of burning you up, it, it lit you on fire um, and purified you. And it was, it was awesome to see just the, the way the Lord is purifying you. Um, the, the word I want to say to you today is, uh, I wouldn't say to everybody, um, but I really feel in the spirit, I, even before arriving today, that I can share this with you because you, you are a holy people. You are a set-apart people. The Lord is pleased with that, and he's calling you deeper. He's, he's inviting you into more of that and more of him. And it's going to be a journey of trust and not a journey of work. Okay? So 2 Peter verse uh, 3, 10 through 12. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Amen. It's awesome. Since everything will be destroyed or dissolved in this way by fire, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. There's an invitation to godliness this morning, um, and I believe it is a good invitation. Um, <laughs> I can feel the eyes glazing over when I say the words holy and godly lives, um, because my eyes glaze over when I hear those words. Oh no, not another sermon about how I am failing to live up to God's standards of righteousness. You know, not another list of rules I have to keep and follow. And I think if you're willing to stick with me today, um, you're going to find that holiness and godliness looks entirely different than following a, a set of standards or a list of rules. It's actually a wonderful invitation to operate the way we're made to operate, to live the way we are made to live. We're actually made in God's image, and as image bearers, we get the chance to look like God. Um, and we have a lot of lies that we believe that we're not like God, that we'll never be like God, and yet we're made in his image. And so when I talk about holiness, I'm actually talking about the right functioning of your life. Holiness refers to that which functions properly. Um, and and it, it's something that's different than the world, but that it, it's not different from our essential nature as image bearers of God. It's different from the flesh, but it's not different from who we really are in the spirit in Christ. Um, so it's an awesome, awesome invitation. But it, we're challenged because we do live in an ungodly world. 
Um, we, we swim in an ocean of ungodliness, never, uh, some of us never having tasted fresh air. And, uh, and so all around us are these ideas and ideals of what it means to be a good person, what it means to live a good life, what it means to find happiness and peace in the world that are in contradiction to what God says and the way that God has set it up. And, and we have to actually have an experience coming out of that ocean. We need an experience with another world, another reality, in order for us to say, um, wow, what I'm experiencing in my day-to-day -day life is actually not, not heaven on earth. It's not, it's not godliness. It's not, um, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It, it's, it's something less than that. It's something completely other than that. And, and now that I've tasted that other world, I've got to have it. Like I just, I've got to live there. I've got to um, be there because it's totally different. It's, uh, in that world, there is, there's peace, there's love, there's joy, patience, kindness, perseverance, goodness, gentleness, self-control. There's like um, the right operation of my mind, heart, and body. Uh, and yet I think it'll take uh, an experience with that world in, uh, for, in order for us to live in that world. The world we live in, uh, especially today here in America, this generation is largely def defined by humanism. This idea that uh, if the majority of people find something harmful or hurtful, that's wrong. But if they find it to be pleasurable and good, that's right. Um, and it breaks down really quickly. It's kind of a lazy philosophy of life. Um, because it's, it's taking the temperature of what our life should look like based on the temperature of the majority of people. Um, and in the world we live in today, uh, that's not good news because the majority of people are struggling with significant crises of faith and mental health and physical well-being. And I don't want my life to look like most people. I want to walk in a room, and like Jesus, I want to, just by quietly being in a room, I want people to either want to confess their sin to me or run away from me. I want, the, I want to be brilliant. I want to radiate, not because of anything in me, in the flesh, just because of the presence that I carry. So that's what I want. I want to live that, that godly life, and, um, and, and I haven't attained what I, what I want to get to. But just, just in taking little baby steps, it's like such a fun adventure. It's such a joyful life. Um, and, and I never want to go back to the, to the world of constant self-examination and self-criticism and self-doubt and judging you and comparing myself. I never want to go back to that world because I am happy. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to preach. I don't mind preaching because I have something really good to share. Uh, and I actually genuinely want you to be like me. Um, I genuinely would love for your life to look like my life. And you're, if your life is happier than my life, please tell me so that you can disciple me because I want to be happy. I want to be full of joy. Please, I want you to mentor me to make me the happiest person in Christ that I can be. Um, but I, I'm just full of joy. I love being with you guys. And, and I love that, that already we're starting um, from a good place of the Lord is pleased with you. 
You are perfect and holy in his sight. And he's just delighted. All he's doing is inviting you into more. So to be godly is to be like God. Um, that kind of goes without saying. Um, God says, be holy as I'm holy. And we are fed a lie that says, you can't be holy because you're only human. We're, nobody's perfect. You're just human. That's actually a lie. You're not just human. You're an, you're an eternal being in a, in a mortal body. Um, you are a, a glorious being, uh, marred by sin, but redeemed by grace. Like you're, you're an awesome, uh, eternal person made in the image of God. You're not just human. Jesus says, I believe with a total straight face, be perfect. Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Would you please, please be perfect? And we say, no, no, nobody can be perfect. We're just human. And Jesus says, no, no, there is a way. But it's not by trying harder. The Bible says nobody can please God by the flesh. Um, it is actually by putting on Christ so that, like, if you want to be judged by the standards of your own sincerity, religiosity, kindness, or zeal, God will do that for you. God is so um, accommodating that if, if you stand before a holy God and say, please, God, judge me based on the standards of, of how good I did in the flesh to obey you, he'll say, okay, I'll do that. And he will play the cassette tape of your life, and he will unveil every hypocrisy in your life, everywhere that you fail to live up to your own standards, much less his standards. But if you want to be judged based on his righteousness, he'll do that for you. If you want to be judged based on the standard of Jesus in you, if you want to say, I've got nothing to show except for Jesus in my mind, heart, and body, then he'll say, okay, I will judge you based on the standard of my own son living in you. And he'll, be, he'll say, perfect. My beautiful spotless bride, you are perfect. Um, and so uh, that's pretty awesome. I, I meet people all over the world, leaders, pastors, uh, a lot in Nigeria, unfortunately, who don't believe the message of grace. They don't believe that we can be righteous through Christ. They believe they can only be righteous through works. Um, and we get a chance to share the gospel with them. Uh, but for Peter, in this verse, there's another motivation, not just the image of God, but actually the, um, the coming day of the Lord. Uh, Peter sees a final day in which all accounts will be settled. Everything will be reconciled. Every wrong ever done. Every, every um, immigrant ever oppressed. Every worker ever underpaid. Every child ever abused. Every uh, rape victim. Every, every person who's ever... Uh, been hurt and wounded by this broken and sinful world, God will set the record straight on the day of the Lord. And it's a day that's coming with fire that's so hot that even the elements down to the atomic level will be melted in the heat. It's God coming in his full manifest presence as the consuming fire. Bible says God is the consuming fire, and when fire shows up, fire does what it does. It burns up everything flammable, and everything that's, that's not flammable, it just purifies or, or is saved. And, and Peter says earlier in his first letter, I was reading this this morning, it's awesome, awesome uh, word that the, 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 the blood of Jesus in us is imperishable. It cannot be burned by fire. And the word of God in us is imperishable. That cannot be burned with fire. The, I, I guess my question for you today is what is your life made of? What's the stuff of your life? Are you made of, uh, of a composition of, 
uh, the, the personality of your parents and the culture you grew up in and the movies you've been watching this year and the music you've been listening to? Or are you made of imperishable stuff? Are you made of eternal stuff? And when you get a chance to, to take a, a, a brick out of heaven and use it to build your life, do you, do you use it? Do you take those opportunities to say, here's something that will never, ever fail, that will never be burned, even in the day of the Lord, I'm going to use it to build my life. Or do you just build your life with, with whatever you feel in, in a certain day, whatever you wake up uh, feeling, whatever uh, diagnosis you have, whatever, um, whatever your mental state is? Uh, is that the stuff you build your life out of? And there's actually an opportunity to build our life with better stuff. Peter sees a coming day of the Lord with the consuming fire of God, after which there will be this amazing recreation, new heavens, new earth, uh, and it's going to be a place where righteousness dwells. Righteousness is the governing factor of the universe, like gravity for us. There will be the righteous, the law of righteousness uh, in that place. It will govern everything. But there's going to be that day of reckoning first. And Peter feels just this heavy weight of responsibility on himself to warn his friends. And Remember, Peter is the guy in the fishing boat. Peter is the guy who says, oh, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Peter is the guy who denies Jesus three times and refuses to eat with the Gentiles because he's scared. Peter is not the person we would think of as the ambassador of holiness. But in his letters, if you read First and Second Peter, maybe one of the reasons they're not as popular as maybe they should be is because he is a champion for godliness. He's a champion for holiness. And for him, it's not based on the fact that he has a squeaky clean track record. He didn't. It's the fact that he experienced grace. And he knew that through grace, there's an invitation to holiness. And so Peter gives us this picture of the day of the Lord and the need for us to be holy in light of the coming day. And I want to take you back. Um, th this is such an adventure for me um, to sort of talk with the Lord about this issue. And one of the things the Lord said to me was consider Lot. Consider Lot as an example of holiness and godliness in an ungodly world that was about to experience a day of the Lord. So I want you to turn to um, Genesis chapter 19, and we're going to look at Lot as a picture. Um, not in my wildest dreams would I expect to be preaching about Sodom and Gomorrah to you today. It is not something I would typically preach on, but, um, but I really want to drive this home to you, because a lot of you have believed um, something different about the Sodom story, uh, and, and I think you're going to get a new lens for, for God's heart uh, towards Sodom and his heart towards Lot uh, in this story. So here's a little background. Genesis 18, 20. Then the Lord said, he's talking to Abraham. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So, my first question is, who's crying out? Who's crying out? Is it the earth? Is it the angels? There's a report that has reached God the judge in his courtroom. There is a complaint that's been lodged against this city by someone. I think the most likely culprit, or not culprit, but 
um, plaintiff, if you will, would be the victims of Sodom. Okay? Uh, the victims of Sodom. The abused children. The rape victims. Um, the rejected foreigners and immigrants. Um, the poor who are being abused and exploited. The prisoners. Um, the, peop the, the people who are murdered in cold blood. The victims of Sodom cry out to God. And God, in his mercy and kindness, listens to victims. Um, it's one of the reasons why you should be very, very nice to the poor. Because they will pray for you or against you, and God listens to them. <laughs> be very kind to the poor. Uh, be very kind to immigrants. Be very kind to outsiders and strangers. Um, because God listens to the outcry of people who are abused and used. And I believe that, that a group of people was crying out so strongly against the city of Sodom that God says, I cannot possibly wait out of love for these people, these victims. I cannot wait for a coming judgment. I have to go now and inspect. And at this time, God is just saying, I'm just going to go inspect. I just need to see for myself. There's no, there's no fire and brimstone here. It's just I got to see if it's as bad as they say it is. So God comes down in the form of two angels, shows up in Sodom, and we're going to see what happens in Genesis 19. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. Okay. Pause there. Two comments here. Uh, the, law, uh, the, the, the two angels, for all intents and purposes, represent the very presence and power of God on the earth. Okay? So the presence of God is embodied by these two angels. They speak for God. They act on behalf of God. They're ambassadors of God, but they're, they're more than ambassadors. They actually have some authority um, to act on behalf of God. So these angels, think of them as the embodiment of God's presence on the earth. They show up in the gate. And now, remember in the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, the, the, the land is sold and bought in the city gate. The, the gate is a place of observation, authority. Um, and so maybe Lot was an elder in the city, or maybe he was just there watching things. And every day he watched evil things come and evil things go. He watched people being exploited, robbed, abused. And one day he sees the presence of God walk in, and immediately he recognizes it. I think Lot was probably hearing the God stories from his uncle Abraham. And he was hearing about the flaming pot of fire passing through the halves of the animals. Well, the voice of God cried out a covenant with Abraham. Yeah, you know, like, you'll be blessed, and everyone who blesses you will be blessed, and everyone who curses you will be cursed. I'll give you this land. Like, like Lot heard the God stories. Um, maybe Lot had his own experience with God. We don't know. It's not told us. But when he sees God's presence, he says, stop. There's something different here. I can feel it in the room. I can feel the shift. The, the barometric pressure is shifting in the gate. S some of you are good at sensing that. When the presence of God shows up, you say, there's something different here. I feel it right now, right now, right now, just 
just like the weight of God just came on the room. And, um, and it's a great skill to, to hone, to recognize when, when God shows up. And you say, stop, oh, the presence of holiness. Whoa, something just walked in the room. And then Lot does something. He gets down off his perch. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. So Lot recognizes the presence of God. Then he honors the presence of God with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. So we're going to talk about recognizing the presence of God. We're going to talk about honoring the presence of God, submission, giving your life, uh, bowing to the presence of God. And then we're going to talk about hosting the presence of God. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to, to say is that the sin of Sodom was not a sin of homosexuality. The sin of Sodom was a sin of hospitality. Not a sin of homosexuality, a sin of hospitality. And all the city fails to host the presence of God. But Lot sees God's presence and says, you have to come to my house. And I think we need to become people in the world we live in today, who have the radar to recognize when God walks in the room, the heart to, to lay down at his feet and say, my life is yours. I am your servant. And then the, the faith to say, you've got to come to my house. You got to come to the, it's not enough for me to meet you at church. It's not enough for me to meet you in the mountains. It's not enough for me to meet you at the conference. I've got to meet you in my bed. I've got to meet you around my dinner table. I've got to meet you with my kids and my, my family. I've got to meet you around the fireplace. I've got to drink coffee with you. I've got to take you to the grocery store. I've got to take you to work. You have to be with me in the most, in the deepest and most private parts of my life. You have to be in my home. And I think there's a couple of reasons that, that, that Lot does this. Number one, he wants it for himself. He says, if holiness is in the city, it belongs with me. It belongs with me. I need the holiness to come to my house. I need the presence to come to my house. This is where it belongs. I will be blessed and benefit from it. Where others might say, oh, holiness, we're scared of that. I don't, wanna, I don't, want, I don't want that in my house. Maybe I'll come to church and get a little bit of that, but then retreat to my my." you know, my, my private place where I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and if it comes in there, then it might burn me up. So I'm kind of scared of that. But when someone like Lot sees the presence of God, i got to have you. So I think he's doing it for himself, but he's also doing it for the city. He's also doing it for the city. Because watch what happens. The, the angels say, no, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. They are on a mission to go find out about the sinfulness of the city. But Lot stands before God on behalf of the people, and tries to distract God from his mission and says, come to my house. If you go to the city square, we're toast for sure. We're done. Like, you will see what happens in the city square if you go there. So come to my house. I need you. He's interceding for the people, I believe. He's interceding for the people and trying to get God to come to a place where God will be happy. And not to go to a place where God will be compelled to pour out wrath and judgment. And so, so God, um, the, 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 the presence of God, the angels of God, listen to 
lot. And there's something about when you are knocking down the door of heaven and you say, you've got to come. You need to possess me. You need to come into my life. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, I've got to have you. There's something about the heart of God that responds to that faith. It says, if you are really seeking me, you're going to find me. And, and even if I'm going over here, if you're knocking down the door of heaven asking me to come in, I will redirect to come into your house, into your home, into your life, because I love faith. It's like the persistent widow demanding justice. And the judge, even though he's evil, says, well, uh, I wouldn't normally give this person justice, but because she's so persistent, okay, I'll give her what she's looking for. And so God uh, says, okay, we'll go to your house. So they go to his house. He insisted so strongly that they did go with him and enter the house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast. This is the first time unleavened bread is mentioned in the Bible. Bread without yeast is a symbol of readiness to go in light of the coming judgment, the coming day of the Lord. Um, so he bakes bread without yeast. They ate before they had gone to bed. All the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. Okay? Everyone's there. Nobody's left out. It's not the gang. It's not the bad apples. It's everybody is there. The Young people, old people. It's not the it's not the teenagers that are. It's everybody uh, from every corner show up, and they say they called the lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. Um, again, unlikely that these are all homosexuals. I think these are sexually flexible people, but I think. Uh, if they were all homosexuals, there would be no Sodom because there would be no children. I think what we have here is abusers, uh, people who've been abused and who abuse. People, that's all they know how to do is dominate, humiliate, shame, and abuse. And so when strangers come in from the outside, instead of doing what they ought to do, which is host them, honor them, bless them, feed them, care for them, they want to use and abuse the presence of God. They don't know how to care for humans, so they won't know how to steward the presence of God. They just want to use and abuse them. And today, unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that just want to show up to get a little bit of God, to get a little bit of his blessings, get a little bit of his goodies, um, and they want to essentially use him for their own pleasure. And I want that to sink in, that that's the sin of Sodom. That is the sin of Sodom, to want to use and abuse God for your own pleasure instead of honoring, hosting, and protecting the presence of God in your life. That's the sin of Sodom. So we, we don't stand over Sodom and say, we're better than them. We don't do those shameful things they did in Sodom. No, we do. We do. I promise you, we do. As, as, as God's people, we've done this. We've sought God for his goods and not for himself. And so they're standing around seeking to use and abuse. Like, one of the things that really challenged me in preparing this was the fact that hospitality was 
the number one virtue in biblical culture. Um, and uh, for some of you guys, in the, in, depending on where you came from, that may, be, may have been one of the top values in the culture you came from, too. Uh, it wasn't in the culture I grew up in. If somebody showed up from out of town um, and said, I'm, I'm, I'm a stranger here, I'm just passing through, I would say, here's a hotel, there's a good restaurant, I hope you got your credit card, good luck, see you later. When I was in Africa, working among the Fulanis um, in, in Guinea, Guinea Conakry, if I was not welcomed in a village by the chief, given a room in his, in his best house, given his best meal, and given his time and attention, it was the greatest sin against me. It was the greatest insult. This happened to me one time. I was walking through town with a backpack full of Bibles in the Fulani language. And I said, who, you know, with two of my friends, who's the chief here? And, uh, and we went to the chief's house. We sat for an hour. And the chief didn't show up. Finally, he came out of his house, crossed his arms. What are you doing here? I said, we're, we're, we're just passing through. We're looking for a place to stay. We want to share the word of God with you. We want to talk with you. We want to build a relationship with you. Well, there's a field that way. You have tents. You can go set them up over there. I said, okay. So we got up. We walked away. As we were walking out of this compound, we saw um, all these idols in one of the houses. A whole house just for idols and uh, things for witchcraft. As we're walking down the road, the imam comes walking this way. What are you doing? It's almost sunset. Oh, we're going to set our tents up over there in that field. No, no, no. Come with me. He grabs us by the arms. He pulls us back to the, to the chief's compound. And he starts yelling at the chief that the chief had brought the greatest shame on us that he could possibly imagine. And eventually, we ended up staying at the chief's house. We stayed in our room the whole night. The chief wasn't happy about it, but he gave us a room. And I learned that in that culture, hospitality was huge. Because you don't know if what somebody's situation is. Walking through town, you don't know if they're going to live or die if they stay out in the bush. And to honor them, you want to welcome them to your home and host them. And Sodom didn't know how to do this. They had chosen not to do this um, for, for people, for uh, travelers and immigrants. But the Bible says um, that you should host, uh, show hospitality because you, some, are entertaining angels unaware. Remember that verse? And this is what's happening to Lot. He's entertaining angels. And so he goes out to the men of Sodom and says, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men. They have come under my protection of my roof. Now, in my mind, this is a parenting fail on Lot's part. Uh, offering your two daughters to a crowd of rapists is not a really smart idea. But try to understand that Lot, in, in his broken and sinful way, is taking what belongs to him 
and, and doing what he can within his power to protect his guests. Um, and saying, let the shame that you would do to God fall on me and my house. And I will carry that shame so that it doesn't come to God. And I don't, I don't think that God approved of Lot's plan. And yet, I think the heart was there to, to do anything possible to honor and protect the presence of these guests. And what happens is, uh, is I know I'm running out of time. Can I have five more minutes? Is that okay? Because there's something I want to get to. Um, the, the men reach out. They strike the, the whole crowd blind. Sometimes you have a crowd clamoring, saying, we want to get to God. We, we want to see God. We want to do something with God. And God, in his mercy, strikes them blind. And they, it says that they, um, they could not find the door. They wearied themselves in finding the door. And people can't find their way to God because God knows what they want to do with him. It's like when Jesus runs away because he knows they want to make him king for the wrong reasons. Um, make him king by force. It's like God, God is not willing to be used and abused. So I think what, what, where I'm getting, what I want to get to is there's an invitation here. Um, and the invitation to godliness is not an invitation to, um, hey, if you, if you quit drinking, if you quit sleeping with your girlfriend, if you... Um, if you, if you get back together with the wife that you divorced, if you, if you stop looking at pornography, if, you know, if you will clean up your life, then God will like you. God already likes you. God loves you. God is pursuing your heart. And God knows, God is tender towards the demonic powers that want to keep you enslaved. Like, God hates those things, but he loves you. And he's capable of pouring his wrath out on, on sin while also rescuing you. Just like he saved Lot out of Sodom, he's, he's able to, to, to rescue you even though you're surrounded by all of these, all of these lies, all these messages. But I think there's, um, there's an invitation for an encounter today. Um, and if you're, if you're paying attention, maybe you've already felt it. Like, God is here. God is here. And he feels like something. He looks like something. He smells like something. You know, it's like hear the swishing of his robes coming into the room. It's like, whoa, God is here. That recognition. And there's an invitation, just like Lot. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? When God walks in the room, when Jesus walks in the room, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to let him walk by the gate? The author of life, are you going to walk him, let him walk through the gate? Or are you going to say, stop, or God have you in my life? I'm your servant. Are you going to give him your life? Are you going to give him your life? I wanted to take more time to respond, but I just want to just silently between you and God today. Silently between you and God today. In a room this size, there's a chance that you've been letting Jesus walk through the gate day after day after day, and you haven't recognized him. You haven't seen him. 
and, and you haven't, for one reason or another, been willing or able to give him your life. And today, you see him there. And he's saying, I did everything for you. And all that is required of you is a yes. All that is a re required of you is a yes. Jesus, have my life. You can do more with my life than I can do with my own life. I believe that you paid for all of my sin. You paid for all of my ungodliness. And I give you my life in exchange for your life. I give you my life and I take your life. If that's you in your heart today, and you can find me or Io or anybody else here later, just share that with us. I just want you in your own heart say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, my life is yours. The second thing I, 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 wanna sh I wanna invite you to is there's some of you that, that have been showing up, you recognize God in the room, but you haven't yet invited him to the deepest place of your life. Jesus wants to walk back with you to your home. He wants, to come, he wants to wake up with you tomorrow morning. He wants to go to work with you. He wants to sit with you at your computer, whatever you're doing. He wants to uh, go to the grocery store. He wants to walk around the neighborhood with you and whisper his heart for you. The bride in the Song of Solomon cries out, I would not let him go until I brought him back to my mother's house, to the house of the one who conceived me. And Jesus is saying, let me come back. Let me come back with you. Let me come back. And if that's you, and, and you just have to have the presence of God in your life, not just on a Sunday when somebody's preaching and you feel inspired, but tomorrow morning when you're tired and grumpy. You just got to have him in the deepest and most private places of your life. In your heart, I just want you to say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I have to have you, whatever it costs and whatever it takes. Okay, and the, the third thing, and this is, I'm going to wrap up with this. There are some of you, and I, I feel like it's a small group. I, in, my, in my mind, it's like four to eight people, maybe, le maybe less than six, that are feeling the invitation to God, of God to go to the hardest places, the darkest places, to Sodom and Gomorrah, to live there as a stranger and an alien, in the place where nobody is like you, and to protect and preserve and promote the honor and the power of the presence of God. Maybe it's an unreached people group across the ocean. Maybe it's the inner city of Atlanta. Maybe it's your own neighborhood or workplace. Maybe it's in the university. A, a place that, that God has said, I made you for something. Your life is short. And I set aside these good works in advance for you to do. And I want you to say yes to that today. Maybe it's something you felt long, long time ago when you were a kid. And he's bringing it back. This calling on your life. This this powerful thing on your life. Maybe you've shut it down and he's lighting it on fire again today. And if that's you, 
I don't want you to say yes unless you mean it. But if you can trust him for the provision and the power to fulfill in the right time everything that he is asking of you, I want you to look Jesus with your mind's eye to his eye. And I want you to say, not by my power, not by my might, but by your spirit, I say yes. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I want to linger here for 20 seconds. He's moving here. Father, get him. Get him. Seal in your book the words we've spoken, the commitments of our heart, because we know it's not us who does it, it's you who do it. You started a good work, now you finish it. You finish it. You're gonna finish it. Thank you for godliness. Thank you that it's a joy to be like you. Thank you that it's the easiest thing in the world to follow you. Thank you, it's how we're made. Thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching our Ignite service. Remember to share this video with friends and family. Check us out on social media to learn more about our church. God bless.